Section 16 of The Rose-Colored World and Other Fantasies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Melissa Green. The Rose-Colored World and Other Fantasies by Ethel Mary Brody. Prue's Gardener, Chapter 2. Some weeks had passed. Life at the Chesterfields had gone on as usual, quietly and peacefully. Maida and the new gardener had become fast friends. In a thousand ingenious ways, Donald had won Maida's childlike admiration. He made a swing for her among the firs and oak trees on the knoll. He had planted some candy tuft and agaratum in her little bed, which spelled out her name Maida, greatly to her delight. He had also arranged a tiny hedgerow to protect it from the chickens, which sometimes escaped from their enclosure and made depredations in the gardens. In one corner he had even built a tiny rookery, planting it with ferns, with columbine, whose red and purple bells rang for the fairies, and the trailing arbutus, portulica, and another of four o'clock lilies, whose daily opening at a regular hour was a continuous marvel to Maida. And he had made a tiny rustic house for her dolls. This had taken time. Donald worked all day, and only in spare hours could he plan for Maida's pleasure and carry it out. This was not the only way Donald had won Maida. To her his knowledge was wonderful. Of the flowers and birds, the ferns and mosses she found in the woods and brought to him, and he had stories for everything. Fairies and gnomes peopled the woods and dwelt among the flowers. The stream Silverdyke had its romances of mermaidens and mermen. Sylphs lingered in every shady nook. Nymphs sped on the wings of the wind. Indeed, Maida's world was now alive with tiny, dainty, gossamer beings. Donald had a wonderful fund of tales historical incidents, legends, and stories of land and sea, a world of romance which readily appealed to Maida's childish imagination. All this time Prue had been studiously avoiding the new gardener, and Donald quietly kept out of her way. Purposely or not, it mattered little to Prue. She had taken a violent dislike to him. She did not wonder at his interest in Maida. Her sister was a pretty child with her sunny hair and bright face. Any laborer might well be pleased to interest himself in such a little fairy and Prue would smile with great condescension when Maida told her the kind things Donald did, and of the wonders and stories he related. "'You are a grateful little soul,' she said one day to Maida. "'It is the goodness of your own heart that you see in Donald, and your own bright imagination which pictures such wonders in the stories he relates.' "'Oh, no. It is not I. Donald is a very wonderful gardener,' exclaimed Maida warmly. "'Wonderful indeed, yes,' He is to little folks like you, Maida. Don't you think he's wonderful, Prue? I don't think anything about him at all, returned her elder sister coldly. I don't believe you like him even yet, said Maida, casting a woeful glance at Prudence. Perhaps I don't, but probably it is my own fault, answered Prue, not wishing to hurt Maida's feelings. Oh, no, it's not your fault. It is no one's fault, Prue. Of course not assented the proud girl, curling her lip. But if you came and sat beside him on the grass when he is gardening as I do, and listened to his tales, I know you would like him. Prue laughed outright at the suggestion, picturing it in reality. Possibly I would, she exclaimed. There is one rose bush he has more stories about than any of the other flowers, continued Maida. Which rose bush is that? asked her sister, listening indifferently. That one over there and Maida pointed to a solitary rose-bush near a rustic seat on the knoll, in the shade of a clump of fir-trees. 
This seat was Prue's favorite resort when she wanted to be alone or to rest and dream. "'Oh?' cried Prue. "'Is that so?' "'Yes, and I told him that bush was particularly yours, that you had it planted there.' "'Did you?' airily from Prue. "'Indeed. I told him that I thought you had planted it yourself, Prue. You did, didn't you?' "'Yes. And what said Sir Gardner?' "'He said it looked lonely.' And Maida looked troubled. "'Did he indeed? How clever of him to make that discovery!' Prue's lip curled again. "'And he said it would be better for it if it had another rosebush beside it, a bigger and stronger rosebush.' "'How smart of the gardener!' interjected Prue with a touch of sarcasm. "'I didn't see just why,' went on the little girl. "'But Donald knows everything about flowers, and of course he was right.' "'Oh, of course,' Prue bit her lip and turned her face away. "'Poor lonely rosebush,' murmured Maida with a puzzled expression. "'I think Donald is right. Anyway, he knows best.' "'Certainly. Donald's knowledge is admirable,' exclaimed Prue satirically. "'I'm so glad you think so,' joyously cried the little girl, not comprehending the tone of her sister's last remark. "'Perhaps you will grow as fond of him as I am some day, and then you won't think it's my goodness that makes Donald so clever and so kind.' Prudence dug her heel impatiently into the gravel walk. "'Come, Maida. There's father. Let us race for it.' Prudence was glad to change the subject, for it was only adding fuel to the fire of her dislike for the new gardener. Away flew the girls down the path to meet Mr. Chesterfield. He had just returned from his daily survey of the farm. "'Well, children,' cried Mr. Chesterfield, stooping to kiss them. He was a tall, broad-shouldered man, and Prudence was small beside him to say nothing of Maida. Maida won the race, said Prue, smiling and apparently breathless. Yes, because Prue never will let herself win when running with me, returned the little sister reproachfully. That's right, Prue, said her father. The race is not always to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. By the way, children, there are parcels at the express office. I want them today. All the men are busy. You might drive into Osborne and get them for me. Poor old Rosinante stumbled on a stone this morning and injured her leg, so you will have to take wildfire in the Phaeton. Can I trust my Prue to manage that meddlesome horse in the Phaeton? Prue looked playfully indignant. Manage him, Daddy. I should think I could. Wildfire is spirited, but answers quickly to a gentle rein. Indeed, she runs steadier than Rosinante, and I would rather have her. Wildfire's only fear is an autocar, but they so rarely pass this way we can risk her all right. Even if we did meet one, I could control her. Prudence Chesterfield never lacked in self-confidence. "'Well, children, after lunch, ask Donald to harness Wildfire. If I had any doubt of your being able to manage Wildfire in the Phaeton, I would send Donald with you,' said Mr. Chesterfield doubtfully. "'Certainly not,' came the quick, decisive answer from Prue. Mr. Chesterfield knew his daughter too well to contradict or argue when she made a decision, and they walked on to the house chatting gaily. Maida was delighted at the thought of spending an afternoon in Asburne, and Prue promised her an ice-cream at Rainick's, the real big candy shop. Then they would do some shopping and meet some friends. It would be so exciting, Maida's eyes danced with joy. After lunch, Maria McCutcheon went to Prue's room and rapped at the door. "'Come in,' answered Prue's sweet voice. "'It's only me,' said Maria. "'Well, Maria, I suppose you want me to do some purchasing in Asburn for you. "'A red rose for your new bonnet? Or a red ribbon for your neck? Or do you—' "'No, no, miss.' interrupted Maria. I want for nothing. Not me. 
and if I did, I wouldn't have ye goin' by him for me, behind that twice-crossed bad-tempered wildfire. No, not for all the Christians sellin' red roses or anything in the world. With this outburst, Maria's face blazed as red as her arms had ever been in the wash-tub. Prue was tempted to laugh, but affection for her old nurse conquered her sense of humor. Dear Maria, your heart rules your head. It ever did, and your fears were always founded on your love for me, and I always swept them over as wave washes a sand-house away. I am like the leopard, Maria. I cannot change my spots, big or little. Maybe, Miss Prue, but I'll talk about this somehow as I'm feared for you. Wildfire has never been in the phaeton before. I know it, answered her mistress calmly. And Dan says as how one of the boys as works across the fields says a great green auto business passed early this morning, and he knows sure it's in Asburn. He says Wildfire won't stand for it. Never mind, Dan. You never did. Isn't it something new for you to take Dan's word and to use it for me? Prue looked solemn. Maria's face was already the lobster shade, or it might have deepened in color, but her pent-up feelings had exhausted the blushing power, and she was reduced to her last shade of vermilion. You've downed me at that point, Miss Prue, but I still don't think it's safe for my two babies to run off alone into Asburn with that spitfire quadruped critter in the harness. Dan'd fall asleep over the dashboard if he went. Why not take Donald? Prue's brow clouded. Maria? Miss Prudence knows her own mind. And Miss Prue's mind was always to have her own way, thought Maria as she went away. And some day, poor mine up braid. Alack, maybe I'm grown as half-witted as Dan. It was late in the afternoon when Prudence turned Wildfire's head homeward from Osborne. Such a day of enjoyment they had spent. When they left home, the sun gleamed cheerily in the splendor of an unclouded day, a sky of shimmering azure. The air was rich with fragrance of grain field and clover meadow and melodious with the twittering of birdland. The goldenrod and everlasting nodded by the roadside, and every now and then Prudence must needs stop wildfire while Maida descended to gather them. Then Maida would run after a squirrel and the little frightened creature would race up a tree and scamper out on a bough to scold the petty disturber of his peace. Or a butterfly would scintillate into the sunshine and Maida would laugh with glee as she chased its irregular flutterings down the road. Even Prudence felt that she must give in to the day when they drove past the woods. How tempting they were in their green shade and tangled aisles. So Wildfire was tethered to a stump while they went in search of the fairies who drank from the bluebells, who made platters of the daisies and turned the leaves of buttercups into spoons, as Donald had told Maida so often. And Maida found the big toadstools which the fairies used for tables and under which the gnomes slept, and what soft beds of moss for the fairies to dream on. Gray and green spattered with the polished red berries of the winter green and the purple cups of violets. Violets filled with dew, the nectar of the dainty gossamer people. Wonderful. It was all so like a storybook, and Maida had much to tell Prudence, which Donald had told her. Indeed, their stay in the woods seemed all too short, and Prue listened because she loved Maida, so she said to herself. But fresh delights were in store for the little girl. Everyone in Asburn knew them. Nods and smiles and greetings met them at every turn. Maida came in for a large share of the townsfolk's attention, which brought a flush of pleasure into her cheeks. They gave themselves up to the delights of their small shopping expedition, ending their happy afternoon at the real big candy shop, and Maida had the promised ice cream. The sun was well on its downward path when the girls set out for home. Maida was tired, Prudence also, but she would not acknowledge it. 
Shadows were falling dark in the woods, and Maida peered sleepily into their density to find the fairy's ring. The squirrels had ceased their chatter. The birds had gone to bed. Only the night-hawk and whippoorwill broke the silence with their lonely cries. All nature seemed to know that the day was closing. The breeze had died down to a dreamy lull, fluttering among the branches and over the grain fields. As they were driving along, both tired and sleepy, neither noticed an auto-car approaching from a crossroad. It was whirling at a good speed. An observer would have supposed the chauffeur was aiming to cross the road in front of the phaeton before the latter reached its path. On it came to the utter oblivion of the two tired girls. But they were near home now, and Wildfire was trotting there at her own gait, instinct guiding her more than Prue's listless rein. On trotted Wildfire, oblivious too. Then the sound of soft whirring wheels caused her to cock her ears and listen. Nearer and nearer came the sound. Wildfire tossed her head, sniffed the air, and looked about. On came the sound, and then suddenly the loud blast of a horn broke on the ears of the sleepy girls, and off bolted Wildfire. Prudence caught the reins, made a screamed, and clung to the phaeton, and away went Wildfire, full speed down the road, striking fire with her flying heels and pulling at the bit with all her might. With all her tired strength, Prudence tugged at the reins, but away raced Wildfire, and the chauffeur stopped the auto-car as the phaeton, swaying from side to side, rattled past its bows and disappeared round the curve of the road. Prudence kept her presence of mind. It was well, for Maida watched her and did as she did. On sped Wildfire. Prudence knew that every moment might mean death, and yet, knowing that, her tired arms could scarce hold the terrified steed any longer. Another curve of the road, and they would be in sight of home. Would anyone hear the clattering hooves? Could they help her? Would they see them? And would they realize that it was a runaway, and no high-rate speed such as Prue liked when Wildfire obeyed the reins, and with which she enjoyed startling everyone when she drove up the avenue? Prue's pride and willfulness rose before her as her thoughts flew with the horse's heels. She felt it would be her fault if Maida was killed, and with that thought her spirit broke. Her arms trembled, her hands weakened, she heard Maida scream. A dark figure rushed through the whirling world and Prudence knew no more. End of section 16 Recording by Melissa Green